0: Good afternoon. Would you all rise for today's scripture reading, which comes from Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Carolyn, for reading God's word to us. And thank you all for being here. It's great to see all your faces and to to hear your voices singing to the Lord, singing truth to him and to one another, reminding ourselves of who he is and, and what he's done for us we have been asking the question recently what is the church and we've been asking that question because we really need to know we if you are a follower of jesus christ then the identity of the church is in fact your collective identity it's who we are as god's people the church so in the last two weeks what we've done is we've looked at two separate new testament passages that describe the church if you haven't listened to those messages, would you, would you please go back and do that? You can access them on the church website. And I usually don't say that necessarily from up here, go back and listen, but what we're looking at today as we wrap up this series really is incomplete if, if you haven't considered what goes before. So today what we're doing is going back to the, we're going back to the Bible and we're going to the book of Hebrews to wrap up this little series. If you have a Bible please do uh, flip it open or, or click it open to Hebrews chapter 10. That's what we're going to be, Hebrews chapter 10, this passage that Carolyn just read for us. We can't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. He doesn't tell us. We can know for sure that it was a man because of the way that he refers to himself. And we know almost certainly that he was Jewish because he writes with such a a deep understanding of of the Old Testament and of the religious practices of the Jewish people. The other thing we can know for sure is this, he loved Jesus. He loved Jesus. In fact, he he wanted everyone who read this book to love Jesus too and, and to keep loving Jesus. In fact, he He spends so much time and he spills so much ink explaining who Jesus is as the Son of God, as the promised Messiah. Some scholars believe that the book of Hebrews was originally a sermon that that was either preached or it was delivered by hand to this congregation of predominantly Jewish Christians in the first century. So the author of Hebrews, or we could call him the preacher if this was in fact a sermon, he was concerned because he knew that some of the people that he was preaching to, they were drifting away from Jesus. Whether it was the difficulties that they were facing in their lives or just distractions in their lives, whatever it was, they had begun to, in subtle ways, to look for hope and to look for comfort elsewhere. Some of those Jewish Christians were starting to put their hope in old religious practices. Old religious practices that in and of themselves were not bad, they were beautiful. But the problem is that these people were losing sight of Jesus, the Messiah, who all those old practices were meant to prepare them for and point to. They were losing the point. And so the preacher wants to remind them that what they have in Jesus is better than what they had before they believed in Him. What they have in Jesus is better than what they had before they believed in Him. They, they had been raised, these people would have been raised to trust in God's promise of a Messiah, to, to wait for that Messiah. But now He'd come, and, and He had died, and He had risen again, and now, so that now they have a risen Savior to worship, to serve, and to wait for His return. But they were losing their hope. Losing their hope in His return. Losing their hope in all that He had promised them. Life had discouraged their faith and had distracted them from Jesus. They were losing their hope in Christ and and some of them longed to go back to the old days before they had believed in Christ. And so the author of Hebrews wants to tell them and to tell us, Jesus is better than anything you had before you knew Him. He is better than anything you're drifting back to or drifting off to. Jesus deserves your continued, lifelong worship and trust. Drift happens slowly, doesn't it? Over time. It's subtle, isn't it? But drift is also unmistakable. You know when you're losing interest in someone that that you once loved? you, You could tell it's happening. If you know what it feels like to lose interest in someone you once loved or someone you thought you loved, if that ever happened to you, it probably happened slowly, didn't it? But the signs were there all along. The signs were there early on, in fact. You began to think less about them. You began to care a little less about them. That's what was going on inwardly. But you also perhaps were spending less time with them. You talked with them, listened to them a little less. That's what was going on outwardly. It's hard to know which one came first. But the signs were there all along. The book of Hebrews warns us, as followers of Jesus Christ, to pay attention to the signs and to not surrender to that drift away from him. So let's look at what this little section of Hebrews has to say to us. It's Hebrews 10, verse 19, down to verse 25. And there's two questions, simple questions, that we're going to use that help us uh, unpack this little section of Scripture. And the two questions are this. What does Hebrews tell us to do And how does Hebrews tell us to do it? Well, first of all, what does Hebrews tell us to do? We get these three rapid-fire directives in Hebrews 10. Look at them. They're underlined here in verse 22 and 23 and 24. It says, let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider. And now notice it's us every time. The preacher includes himself. He needs this right? It's not just you better, it's we need to. And that's true today too. This is not me saying you better draw near and hold fast and consider. No, it's me saying we, us, we better draw near, hold fast, and consider. So the first thing he says is let us draw near. That's in verse 22. God wants his people to be with him. God wants to be with his people. That is a major theme in the entire Bible. It would be interesting to go through the Bible just looking for that theme as it appears throughout Scripture. And In fact, you could say that it's the central theme of the entire Bible. Think about it. What is the climax with which the Bible story ends? It's in Revelation 21, verse 3 the writer says then i heard a loud voice from the throne look god's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them they will be his peoples and god himself will be with them and will be with their god and will be their god he will wipe away every tear every tear from their eyes Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. So what do we see happening? Grief and death and sadness are gone. And what has replaced it all? God is near. God is with his people, and his people are with him. That's how the story resolves for every person who has believed in Jesus. This is the climax of human history. God and his people dwelling together in perfect shalom, perfect peace, everything set right the way it should be. But if you've ever read the Bible, especially the other parts, you might know that drawing near to God is is problematic. After all, we are sinners who have offended God in a million different ways. Hebrews 12.9 says that, He is a consuming fire. No, he's not the man upstairs. He's a consuming fire. It's not just that we've made him mad. That's not what that means, or that he's holding a grudge against us. No, it's that he's holy. Revelations 21, 27 says, nothing unclean will ever enter his presence. And our sin has left us unclean. Even the best things that we've done are stained with self-righteousness and selfishness and hypocrisy. That's our best, not to mention our worst. And so sin has alienated us from God. And the saddest part of all that is that we were made to enjoy nearness with God. We were created to experience His closeness, but we robbed ourselves of that. But God, but God, because of the great love with which he loved us, he did something to bring us safely near to his holy presence. This is what Hebrews 10, 19 to 25 is talking about. Look at verse 19 in our passage. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened up for us, through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In ancient Israel, there was a temple, and before the temple, there was a tabernacle, a tent of gathering. These places were holy places where God's people would gather to worship, but God's people had limited access to those holy places. In fact, behind a a heavy veil or, or curtain, there was an inner sanctum in the temple, and in that tent of meeting, it was called the holiest of places. And only one person could enter there, the high priest. The high priest. If any unqualified individual walked in, no matter how important he was, no matter how impressive he was, no matter how good he was, how good of a week he had, he or she would die, be consumed. Even the high priest himself wasn't free to walk in and out at his own leisure. He couldn't even walk in and out confidently, much less casually. No, Hebrews 9, 7 tells us that the high priest alone enters the second room that is the the inner sanctum, the holiest of places. And he does that only once a year and never without blood. He could only enter on schedule and he could only enter prepared. Once a year, never without blood, and he offers for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. He could only enter on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, once a year, and he had to walk in carrying blood. Blood from the bull that he had slaughtered to atone for his own sin and the sin of his household, which he would take into that inner sanctum and sprinkle on the mercy seat in that room. And then he could leave and re-enter with the blood of a goat that he had killed to atone for the sins of the people who had assembled outside. And then he would sprinkle that blood in the inner sanctum on the mercy seat. The first time was to atone for himself before he atoned for the people. Because he had his own sin, of course. The high priest, he had his own lust his own anger and greed and deceit and his own idolatry to account for, just like you, just like me. Leviticus 16 says, No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he, the high priest, enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for the assembly of Israel. You see, the assembly had to keep their distance. They just hoped that the high priest would go in, do his job, survive, and come out so that their sins would be forgiven and they could be cleansed. And all of that, All of that could only happen after a 10-day period of, of repentance and cleansing ritually in preparation for that one day a year. And so it was for centuries. It's all many generations of God's people ever knew about drawing near to God. Imagine the relief. Imagine the celebration pent up that would be released when that high priest walked out of that holiest place with blood on his hands and and, and sprinkled on his white robes, signifying to the whole assembly, we're cleansed, we're safe, we're forgiven. But church, Jesus has opened a new and permanent way into the inner sanctum. Praise be to him for this. Not not entrance into that room, but access to everything that room symbolized. Access to the house of God himself. Heaven itself, where the real eternal presence of God dwells. Not just for those who are in that assembly, not just for those who are ethnically Jewish, but for all of humanity. His flesh was ripped open... And the veil to that inner sanctum was ripped open too when Jesus gave up his life on a Roman cross. The writer says the high priest would show up with the sacrifice every year. But Jesus, this new and better high priest, he shows up as the sacrifice. He entered, Hebrews 9 says, Once, not once a year, once, full stop. By means of, not the the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, securing redemption, opening up a new and living way so that we get free access to God, to his glorious, glorious, Holy presence, which has now been made safe and welcoming for us. We can walk in on account of that blood. New Hope, we can walk in on account of that blood into the real presence of God. It's the only reason we can walk in. It's the only reason that we can draw near to speak to God now. Have you thought about this? The only reason that you can speak to God now and worship him now without the fear of being con- consumed by, by your own fear and your own guilt and your own shame is because of the blood. It's why one day we'll be able to stand before him and not be consumed by his wrath It's because of the blood. But, and let me, let me make this clear, we, even now, in 2021, we can only approach God with blood. We can only approach Him with blood. I'm going to always remember, I think I'll always remember, hearing uh, the great pastor Charlie Dates tell, tell the story of a, a young Kenyan woman who was having coffee at a mall in Nairobi in 2013 when terrorists walked in to that mall and they opened fire. Perhaps you remember this news story. Can you picture being in a mall, drinking coffee with your friends, and all of a sudden a bloodbath ensues? This woman, she dove to the ground and she lay there still and she was listening to the screaming and the gunshots And and footsteps, gunmen were were making their way around that space, looking for uh, any remaining survivors so that they can shoot them down. And so she tried to hold her breath and lay motionless, hoping, hoping that they would mistake her for dead, and leave her alone and move on. Can you imagine the panic in her heart? And then a man who lay next to her, dead, in a pool of blood, his cell phone began to ring. And she feared in that moment that the gunman would hear the phone and they would come close and they would notice her breathing So she wanted with all her heart to just make the phone stop ringing, but she couldn't make it stop. She couldn't reach in and find the phone. And so you know what she began to do? She discreetly and hurriedly and nervously began to take his blood, the blood of the man laying next to her, and and she began to rub it on her face and, and into her hair and on her neck and onto her clothes. And when the gunman walked up, do you know what they did? The gunman saw the blood and left her alone and walked on. And here's what Pastor Charlie Date says about it. He says, the reason sin has not snatched your soul, has not kept you from getting into the very presence of God, is because he saw Blood. Not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of the Lord Jesus Himself. Do you know why you can confidently approach God now to worship and pray without any fear of rejection? It's because His blood covers you. His blood covers you. We take worship lightly, we take prayer lightly. Do you know why why you can leave this earth with confidence that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? It's only and ever because of the blood. I wonder if we're thankful for the blood. Or or, or do we feel so accustomed to and, and even entitled to this access? Even, even maybe we feel apathetic about it, like we can take it or leave it. I'll take access to God if it comes easy, if it fits my schedule. But I'd rather have access to the game right now. I'd rather have access to my device right now. I fear that we've lost the sense of the wonder, the tremendous blessing of access to the living God who the Bible says is a consuming fire. Especially if, like me, you happen to be a Gentile. You wouldn't have even been in that assembly to begin with that we've read about in Leviticus 16. You would have been outside the outside. But Jesus has opened a way wide open, even for those of us that would not even qualify to be in the assembly adjacent to the holy place. the only reason we're deemed worthy, the only reason your shame is covered and your filth has been cleansed is because of the blood. So you can come with confidence now and full assurance, not not casual and distracted, but with grateful certainty that you will be welcomed because of the blood. And so the writer to the Hebrews says, let us draw near. Literally, he's saying, keep drawing near. Don't stop drawing near. Don't you realize what you've been given? How do you know that you're not taking the blood for granted? How do you know that you're not taking this access lightly? It's if you're drawing near. And continuing to draw near. That that means pulling up to where God is, pulling up, getting close, and sitting in His presence, and then coming back and doing it again, and again, and again. Drawing near to God means listening to Him, receiving what He has for you. It means confessing sin to Him with the hope of of true forgiveness. Coming near means pulling up with praise and, and thanksgiving too. Because Jesus, the great high priest, opened a new way. We can keep coming into God's presence now and, and we get the hope of his eternal presence when our time here ends. And, and, and friends, our time here will end. The day of that end rapidly approaches. The writer to the Hebrew says it. We can see the day drawing near. It's the day, capital D, unlike any other day. It's the day of Christ's return. It's the day when we will stand before God. Are you covered by the blood? Are you covered by the blood? Because when that day comes, it's all that will matter. There will not be another thought on your mind other than, am I covered with the blood? Because we will all stand before him, new hope. To be received or cast out are you covered? And if you're covered by the blood, then keep drawing near, he says. And the second thing he says is, let us hold fast. That's in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It means don't stop hoping in what Jesus has done for you. Don't, don't waver or, or let go of that hope. Don't place your hope elsewhere. Don't trade it in for some other hope. Don't stop preaching the gospel of the blood to yourself. He says you can trust it because it's trustworthy. And then in verse 24, he says, Let us consider. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That means, by the way, more than just encouraging folks to be decent people, to behave properly, right? Like the, like the parent who drops off their kid and says, remember, be good, just before they slam the car door. No, this is more than that. Stir up one another to love and good works goes deeper. It's about stimulating one another to love God and to love people more than they already do. Ephesians 2.9 says, We were saved by grace through faith. Not a result of good works, right? We weren't saved by a result of good works. But in the very next verse, Ephesians 2 says, You've been saved for good works. Not because of good works, but for good works. What does that mean? It means, Christian, you've been covered and cleansed by the blood of your Savior. And now you're called to love and live like your Savior. Good works means just that. Good works are acts of obedience to God. Good works are also acts of of mercy, more specifically acts of justice, acts of generosity that flow out of love for God and for the people that are made His image. Last week we focused on the fact that the church is the body of Christ. Being the body of Christ means, in part, doing what Jesus did functioning like his body, doing what he did. It means obeying the Father. It means living with courageous compassion and and radical generosity and sacrificial kindness. In fact, being Christ's body means that Jesus himself is actually showing compassion and kindness through you, through us, as we represent him on earth. So so that means that when we act justly and we act mercifully, that's him acting through us. We are here to operate on his behalf. My old friend, Reed Monahan, put it some years back at a men's retreat that many of us were at, or some of us at least. He said, love and serve, seek and save. That's Christ's mission. It's our mission. It's Christ's mission, and if we're his body, it's our mission. Love and serve, seek and save. Hebrew says, consider how to stir each other up to pursue that mission. Because we need to be stirred up towards that, don't we? To live like Jesus, on behalf of Jesus, as his representative in New York, in Jersey, wherever God's put us. Second question we need to answer, and then we're done. How does Hebrews recommend that we do all this? How does Hebrews recommend that we do all this? It's in verse 25. At least in part, it's in verse 25. He says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verse 25 connects back to verse 24, and by extension, back to 23 and to 22. That is, verse 25 tells us how to follow all three of those directives. In other words, we meet together, church, in order to draw near, hold fast, and stimulate one another to love and good works. If we're not doing that when we get together, then we're wasting our times together. And, and we meet together, church, so that we'll be encouraged, so that each of us will be encouraged to draw near, to hold fast, and be stimulated to love and good works. You see, getting together with God's people was always God's idea. He invented it. He prescribes it. That's why we try to emphasize it as a church, and it's why Hebrews here really builds up to it in verse 25. The preacher knew that people were tempted to fall away. They were were drifting. And and one, it's not that this was the only way, but one way that that drift was manifesting itself was this, verse 25, this habit of neglecting to meet together. It it was a sign that they were drifting. And and probably it was a, a cause of their drifting too. It's hard to know which came first. Did the drifting in their hearts lead to the neglect of the gathering together or vice versa, or both? Meeting together takes many shapes, doesn't it, though? For a church, I should say. It it happens at the one-on-one level over coffee, other food or beverage. It happens one-on-one when you meet with another brother or sister. It happens at the smaller group level as well. And it happens at the corporate level. And by corporate, I mean body, right? Corporate, corporal body. At the whole body level, when the whole body gets together. And those three levels, whether it's one-on-one or it's smaller groups or it's the whole body, they're all indispensable. We can draw near in every one of those contexts, but drawing near, uh, it looks different in the different contexts, doesn't it? Like, like holding fast your confession or stirring up one another, it looks different depending on what that gathering is, what kind of gathering it is. Think about how God has used intimate conversations with one brother or one sister to help you hold fast to the hope of the gospel. Maybe there would be some recent conversations like that for you. How about times when you've studied the Bible with a group, a handful of people, or when someone was willing to be vulnerable and, 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 and share their heart in a, in a small group gathering, haven't you been helped to draw nearer to the Father in settings like those? Or, or haven't you been stimulated at times to love and obey Him in settings like those? Maybe others have helped you. Or maybe others have been helped by you, I should say. Hebrews is saying, don't neglect those opportunities to meet together, any of them. Whether at the one-on-one level, the small group level, at the body level, don't neglect meeting together. That's one way to fight drift. It's interesting, though, the only kind of gathering that we see a clear weekly rhythm of in the Scriptures is the corporate gathering on the Lord's Day of the whole church. We're encouraged, and well, the Apostle Paul, for instance, in Acts talks about Uh, meeting with small groups from house to house and we see examples in the new testament of individual saints christians coming together one-on-one or even you know three people or whatever in smaller groups to encourage and build one another up so we see all those examples of meetings in the church but in the bible but the only one that we see prescribed as a or at least given to us represented to us as a weekly rhythm is the whole body corporate gathering of the church it's interesting We've sought to encourage one-on-one discipleship here at New Hope. And, and by that, one-on-one discipleship, we just mean two people getting together to, to help each other know Jesus and to follow Jesus. We've certainly sought to encourage participation in care groups and discipleship groups. In fact, I want to encourage you, if you are not connected with a care group, and, or if you need information about a care group, please reach out. You can reach out to Che, reach out to Sarah there, reach out to me can help you with some information to get you connected with a care group. Don't neglect meeting together. It's the habit of some, but it doesn't need to be your habit. It doesn't have to be yours. And and then the writer to the Hebrews wants us to use those times together, to redeem them, use them well, to draw near, to hold fast, to stimulate each other to love and good works. But again, The only specific gathering that's presented in the New Testament as a weekly rhythm on the calendar every week is the Lord's Day gathering of the whole body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, when you come together, not if you come together, but when you come together, because I know you're always coming together. And we see that weekly gathering throughout the history of the church through the ages. And God willing, we will see it continue through the ages until Christ returns. It's in that whole body gathering, that the whole community draws near together through scripture, through singing, through prayer. It's where a bunch of broken sinners draw near to the Lord's table. Always empty-handed, but never uninvited. We come with full assurance and confidence that we won't be consumed. We will be fed. You see, do you think about worship as drawing near to God in that way? Are you tempted to, to engage in it carelessly? Are you a, a, allowing a, a schedule, perhaps a schedule that you created, to consistently draw you away from drawing near with the church? In this corporate gathering, we don't just draw near to God. We, we hold fast to our confession When we're singing together that that Jesus lives and that he reigns and that he's coming back, we're holding on to that hope. We confess our hope through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We cling to our confession when we take communion together. Paul says we proclaim his death until he comes. We keep holding on to that hope that he's coming. Every time the scriptures are are read and preached, we're learning what it is that we should hold fast to. We're learning what is worthy of holding fast to. I wonder if we all think about the gathering of the church that way. Do we engage with those kinds of things in mind? And in this corporate gathering, we also stir one another up. At least we should. Have you ever been stimulated to love and obey your Savior as you sang with your brothers and sisters and you heard their voices around you? Have you ever been stirred up to repent and thank your Savior when God's words were read? Those of you who read Scripture for us here, that's not a tradition. You're engaging in gospel ministry every time you open the Word of God here and you just read God's unadulterated Word to God's people It's an opportunity for us, as we listen to you read, to be stirred up to love and good works. Have you ever been stimulated, as God's word's been preached to you, to to repent and thank your Savior? Has God used you? I know he has. Has he used you to stimulate another saint to love him, to trust him more? Even in brief conversations that you've had in this place, What if we approached the gathering, not as spectators or distracted bystanders, but what if we approached ready to draw near and hold fast and stir one another up? So Hebrews says, how do we fight this tendency to drift? How do we fight this tendency to let go? To become stagnant. That's really the opposite of everything he's saying here, right? The opposite of drawing near is drifting. The opposite of holding fast is letting go. The opposite of being stirred up is to grow stagnant. How do we fight all of that? In part, beloved, I know it's not a panacea. It's not the key to everything. It's one foundational remedy, though. Hebrew says, in part, it's by not neglecting to meet together. One-on-one, smaller groups and, and, and as a body, foundationally, as a body on the Lord's day, it's all vital to this fight against drift. If if we are consistently prioritizing other things over the assembling of Christ's people, we should not be surprised when those things begin to replace Christ, and our affections, and our thoughts, and our focus. Let me say that again. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that none of us should that You should never not be here on a Sunday. You can't never miss a, a, a gathering of the church. You'll never miss a care group. Don't ever miss a church uh, gathering. I'm not saying that. Don't travel. Quit your job. I'm not saying any of that. But here's what I'm saying. I'm trying to be precise here. If there's a consistency and a pattern of prioritizing other things over the assembling of Christ's body, you should not be surprised that those things will begin to replace Christ in your affections, in your thoughts, in your focus, and in those of your family. Drift happens slowly and subtly, but the signs are there all along. I'm pretty sure that some of us are here because someone brought us here. Some of you are here because someone brought you here, and you're not necessarily eager to be here. It may, in fact, feel like a burden and a drag to be here. I can relate. My parents aren't here today because my dad's not feeling well, but my parents brought me to church every Sunday, and sometimes I did not want to be there. It was a drag. There were other things I preferred to be doing. But I look back now, and what I realized that I did not realize then is that I was being given an opportunity. And you too, if you have been brought here by someone else and maybe you aren't too eager to be here, you have been given an opportunity to draw near to God, to learn about the hope that He wants, He wants so badly to give you in Jesus. I want to encourage you not to despise that gift. Don't despise that blessing. Parents, don't, don't take that blessing away. In fact, instead, engage that opportunity. God wants you near him. He offers you eternal access by entrusting your life to Jesus. And he promises that what you will receive in Jesus is better than anything you have now and better than anything you hope to have without him. He is trustworthy. So as we end this little series called This Is Us, the Church, let's end here. The Church is a collection of baptized followers of Christ who together draw near and hold fast, and together we learn how to stimulate one another to love and to good works. That is who we are, a people who have committed to help one another do all that. So let's not neglect what Jesus bought with his blood. Let's let's cherish what he gave us via his blood. If we are seeing signs of drift in our lives, let's take that seriously. If we're seeing signs of drift in our families, let's take that seriously. And let's hear our Savior call us back to draw near again, together, to hold tight to what hope that he's given us. even when we gather. And then when we scatter, as we're about to in just a few minutes, let's scatter, stimulated, stirred up to represent Jesus where he leads us. To let people know that the holiest places have been opened up wide by Christ. That his table has been spread expanded and open up wide with welcome for anyone who desires to draw near. Let's pray. How can we neglect such great a salvation? Give us hearts that desire to hear you and that respond when you call us to draw near, Lord. Thank you for opening up a way where there was no way for grafting us in, bringing us in, and telling us that now, now, we will in fact, through Christ, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.